purpose of the refocus process that we as a church have been involved in for almost a year now has brought us to the point of communicating with you as a church what all has been going on with that refocus process. That's why Rob and I tag team for four weeks on that sermon series, We Are the Church, that we finished up last week. Uh, that's why we have posted all over this church something that looks like this, where we put out there to you the seven discoveries that we have uh, come about in the process of studying where we are as a church and where we need to be moving as a church. This is why our refocus group has offered numerous meetings along the way that you could go to if you wanted to get more information. Some of you went, some of you chose not to for whatever reasons. It's the reason we've sent multiple mail outs and emails to you, trying to get as much communication and information out there to you so that you would know what is the process. And one of the discoveries had to do with this very matter of communication. We've dealt with mission, vision, leadership, growth. I'm going to speak to governance and relationships uh, here in the next couple of weeks. But just to say again that the commitment that our refocus group has made and a commitment moving forward as a church is for that open uh, communication to make sure everybody uh, is on the same page and everybody knows what's going on. And I appreciate those who have been involved in the leadership of this in doing so, and I think you know that they will continue to do so in the days uh, to come. Appreciate deeply uh, those who have given of their time and the effort. And I think it's really helped to give some direction as to where First Baptist Church of Noonan needs to be moving to in the days to come. Well, I finished up last week the four-week series that I mentioned to you a moment ago, We Are the Church. And I want to go back and pick up where I left off five weeks ago in the series that I was in, involved in, and that was on prayer. I, start, I, made, a, I made a mistake this morning uh, in the early service. I, I asked the question, how many of you remember? And I caught myself, I better not ask it that way. I said, let me remind you where we are instead of asking how many of you remember, because that's been five weeks ago. Uh, I started a series of messages on prayer that I simply called Pray. Uh, during those, those, uh, those messages, we looked at four. I want to go another couple of weeks and deal with that same topic this morning. I introduced the uh, series to you by giving you four motivating statements concerning prayer. No believer's spiritual life will rise to stay above the level of his or her praying. No church's ultimate effectiveness will rise to stay above the level of its corporate prayer life. Number three, no church's corporate prayer life will be greater than the personal prayer lives of those who make up its membership. And number four, no believer's prayer life will rise to stay above the level of his or her personal, regular, daily time of prayer and worship with God. Pray, learning to pray, and I hope this whole series helps to motivate us. I went on and asked and answered three questions. What is prayer? How important is prayer? Why do I need to pray? And then on the third message, I shared with you 10 prayer secrets that I trust were motivating statements and secrets, if you would, that helped to motivate us to pray. Um, I shared with you at the very beginning that God, those of us who know Him personally, He has committed to answer our prayer. And He will. And He does so one of four ways. Yes, gives us what we're praying for. Wait. Sometimes God's never on our timetable, so sometimes He's going to answer our prayer, but it's not time for Him to answer it yet. Then I shared no. No's an answer. 
might not be the answer you're looking for, but it is an answer to our prayer. And then fourthly, sometimes God gives us something better, different than what we're praying for. But God has promised he would answer the prayers of his people. So five weeks ago, I started with another question. And here was the question, why does God not answer my prayer? If God has promised he will answer our prayers, and if he doesn't answer our prayers, why not? Now, before I review quickly and then pick up where I left off five weeks ago, I, w- I want to say this. I'll say it again a little bit later on the service, I think. But anytime you do not find an answer to your prayer, the fault is never God's. It's our fault. Something's wrong with us. God's committed himself to answering our prayers. And when he doesn't, there's either something we need to deal with or something we need to adjust. The fault is never God's. It is always ours. So what can hinder our prayer life? What can keep God from answering our prayers? And I'm not going to stay, but just a second on this. If you, if you, if you want more information, go back and listen to the previous messages on it. I shared with you six possibilities, six hindrances a couple of weeks ago. Selfish and wrong motives in our praying can keep God from answering our prayers. When we're, when we're all self-focused, uh, God might not answer our prayers. Secondly, I shared a lack of compassion and generosity. The Bible makes it clear that if we close our hearts to those who are in need, God will close his heart when we call out to him. A third hindrance, unconfessed sin. In other words, as a believer, when you and I sin and we don't deal with our sin like God says to deal with it, uh, he's not going to listen to our prayer. The psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't say he might not hear me. He says he will not hear me. So I need to make sure my heart's clean. I've confessed my sins. I've, I've dealt with the issues in my life that God has spoken to me about. I've dealt with it like he tells me to deal with it. A fourth hindrance is that of idolatry. If we put other gods before him in our life, he will not hear our prayer. And then the fifth and the sixth, unforgiveness, where we don't forgive people. Whether you realize it or not, not only does unforgiveness in your heart cause you to be a bitter person, it also stops heaven from answering your prayer. If I've got people in my life I will not forgive, you're not going to get your prayers answered. And hand in hand with that, I shared with you the last thing was conflict with your spouse. You've got to stay right with your spouse if you want your prayers answered. You can see that in First Peter. Well, that catches you up. And I won't ask you again how many of y'all remembered all that, but there it is again. Let me, let me pick up this morning and give you a few more reasons, a few more hindrances that might keep you from having your prayers answered. And I pray, I pray God to use this because this is good. This is helpful to us if we ever get to the place that we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we never hear from heaven. Hindrance number seven. What keeps God from answering our prayers? Here it is. Failure to ask according to God's will. Failure to ask according to God's will. Sometimes God does not answer our prayer because we're asking for that which is not his will for our lives. And heaven is silent because we're asking God for that which he cannot and he will not grant us. Now I want to show you that principle. I want to show you that truth. I want to to do it in the Old Testament. I want to do it in the New Testament. 
Uh, I ask you to turn to Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 11 to 13. We read these verses uh, before. I'm sure I'll probably deal with them again. These are uh, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Promise, uh, powerful promise God made to his people. And he says this to them. He's speaking to his nation Israel. For I know the plans. Now the plans there would be God's will for his people. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I know the plans I have for you. Hey, folks, the Bible clearly teaches us that God has a will for his people. There's, there's really two aspects of that will. God has a general will for his people, and he makes that clear to us in his word. And when I say general will, what I mean by that is that God has a will that is for all of his children. These are things that we don't have to debate about. We don't have to wonder. They apply to all of us regardless of how long we've been saved, at what point in our lives we got saved. They speak to all of us. Things such as it is God's will for all believers to read the Bible. It is God's will for all of us to pray, to give, to serve, to share our faith. You don't have to pray about those matters because God has told us in his word that this is his will for all of us as his followers. But not only does God have a general will for his people, God also has a specific will for us as individuals. And he says that here in the text I just read to you. Speaking to Israel, God said, I know the plans I have for you. And let me declare to you this morning, I, I, I personally think this is great news, that the God who loved me enough to give me life and the God that loved me enough to redeem my lost soul loves me enough to have a plan and a purpose for my life. And he does for you. If you are born again, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has a will for you. He has a purpose and a plan. And uh, within that framework, he will reveal to you what he wants you to do. And when you, and, and to me, this just declares, again, God's graciousness, his love, his, his fatherhood, if you would. If I begin to ask God for those things which are not his will, that would move me outside of his purposes and plan for my life, God loves me enough that he doesn't give me what I'm asking for. Thank God for that. Now, the, the New Testament side of that truth, I take you to the book of 1 John. 1 John was written to young believers in Christ. Five short chapters in our Bible, but it's written to those he calls, John calls, my little children, young believers in the faith. And in that short letter, John is writing to believers, teaching them about the basic, fundamental, foundational truths of the faith. You get to that fifth chapter, and verse 14 of 1 John 5 says the following. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything, and here it is, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him if it's in his will for us. I'm glad that phrase is there. 
Warren Wiersbe once wrote it. He said, prayer is not our trying to change God's mind. It's learning what is the mind of God and asking accordingly. The Holy Spirit constantly intercedes for us, even though we do not hear his voice. He knows the Father's will, and he helps us to pray in that will. God has a will for your life. And if you're asking him as a father for those things that are outside his will, heaven may well be silent. Boy, I, aren't you glad that God hasn't given you some of the things you've asked for in life? I am. I look back over these years of living at things I thought I wanted or things I thought I needed or things I thought God ought to give me and he didn't do it. Thank God he didn't give me everything I asked for. Um, I shared this example in the first service. Uh, this is a personal example. I don't, I don't know your personal example, so I can't share them, but I'll tell you mine. And this was one of those things that I really thought I wanted that God didn't give me. And uh, I think I've shared part of this story before here, but a number of years ago, in fact, David, it was while I was at, while I was at Lilburn, because of some connection and ministry opportunities we had had working on the big island of Hawaii, my name got shared with a pulpit committee uh, at a church on the island of Maui. Now, that would have been a tough assignment, but somebody's got to go do it. And uh, they began to talk to me. And lo and behold, after, uh, after some conversa a lot of conversation with their pulpit committee, uh, they wanted me to become their pastor. And they invited Robin and I over to uh, Maui uh, we went over and spent a week with them, and in the process, I didn't really know I was doing this when I went, but I preached for them. I knew I was doing that, but I didn't realize that was a preaching a message in view of a call. Uh, but lo and behold, after I got through preaching, they voted, and they voted to call me as their pastor. And I had to be honest with you, I wanted to go. I wanted to go, so, I mean, who wouldn't go into Maui uh, to go pastor? And uh, so I told them, I didn't really, because it was kind of unexpected, but I said, let me take a week and go pray about it just to confirm the Lord's will in this matter. And they said, fine. Well, I got home, and I just have to tell y'all something. Heaven was silent. Now, I tried to tell God that's where I needed to go. <laughs> I tried to tell God that was his will for my life. God didn't say anything. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He didn't say wait. He didn't say he'd give me something better. Oh, what could have been better, you know? He didn't say a word. Now, I have enough spiritual sense, I think, enough spiritual discernment to realize when God doesn't say anything, it's better not to move. It's better not to try to do what God hasn't given you permission to do. And as much as I wanted to go, as bad as I wanted to go, by the way, Rob and I got to go back over there a few years after that. One of the reasons they wanted me because I'd done some, some things of this nature, but they were getting ready to totally relocate their church to 30 acres on Maui. That's pretty significant. And I was going to get to help them do that. We went out to their new facility, and I really wished I had gone when I got there with that time. <laughs> but folks, here's my point. God said, he didn't say no. He didn't say anything. And I had enough spiritual discernment to know that if God did not give me freedom, 
If God had not given me the inner peace of heart, he had not given me that discerning spirit to know that this was where he was leading, I had enough sense to say no. And one of the hardest phone calls I've ever made in my life was to the chairman of that pulpit committee to say, brother, I, can't, I don't have a reason. There's not a reason. I just cannot come because God will not free me to say yes. To this day, I have no idea why I could not go. To this day, I don't know the reason. I just simply have rested in the fact, for whatever reason, it was not God's will for me, nor was it God's will for that church for me to go and be their pastor. Now, my point is very, very simple. It's a very important point. I think it's a profound point. There are times that you ask God for something that is not within his will, and heaven's going to be silent. And when God gives you the discernment to see that, just accept it and move on, because somehow in God's plans and purposes for your life, he's trying to protect you from something you can't see down the road. Hindrance number seven, we're asking according, not according to God's will. Hindrance number eight this morning, unbelief. Unbelief. The principle of faith is, in our praying is taught all throughout the Bible. And the Word of God makes it absolutely clear that when we pray, we must exercise faith if we want our prayers answered. And many times, unbelief keeps us from having an answer to our prayer. James 1, verses 5 through 8, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, that's prayer, who gives generously to all and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven tossed by the wind, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But what a graphic description that is of a man or a woman who is praying and not asking in faith. Matthew 21, 21 and 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you not only do what was done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And then Jesus said, all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Mark 11, verse 24, therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask and believe, you have received them, they will be granted to you. God demands that we shall believe him in his word. And faith is often that key that unlocks the door of answered prayer. And without it, our prayers will never be heard. And our prayers will never be answered. Charles Spurgeon once framed it this way as only he could. He said the following, unbelieving prayers, shall I call them prayers at all? Prayers without faith? They are birds without wings, ships without sails, beasts without legs, prayers that have no faith in Christ or prayers without the blood on them. They are deeds without the signature, without the seal, without the stamp. They are impotent, illegal documents. Well, that's pretty graphic, isn't it? But he's right on target. Hey, we must pray in faith if we want our prayers answered. 
And maybe the reason you've prayed and you've never received an answer for it is because you're asking with doubt in your heart and you don't believe and trust God for the answer that you know that he can bring. Two, two illustrations maybe that will help you uh, understand what I mean by praying in faith. Uh, maybe uh, you're like a little girl that once was uh, headed to bed one night. She was headed up to her room. And as she was headed up uh, walking the stairs, she called out to her family who was sitting down in the den area. And she said the following, okay, I'm fixing to go pray. Anybody need anything? That's faith. That's faith. Childlike faith. But that's where faith begins. Again, I quoted Spurgeon a second ago. Uh, if you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, as he was pastor of that great church in London, uh, they, they say that almost every Sunday, in fact, every Sunday, while he was preaching multiple services, underneath the church where his pulpit was, there was a room that was filled with prayer warriors. He had a prayer team that would intercede during worship services the entire time he was preaching, all the services. It's one of the reasons God moved so powerfully through him and through that church. And as they were praying during that ser service, they would, they would pray for those who would come in to the tabernacle there and hear Dr. Dr. Spurgeon preach that there would be many people saved. And one Sunday morning, Spurgeon walked out into his pulpit and he said the following to his congregation, this is faith. We have this morning been praying for the conversion of many. We expect our prayers to be heard. The question is not, will there be any converted under this sermon today, but who will it be? That's faith. Make sure your heart is full of faith as you approach the throne of grace with your prayers. Hindrance number nine. Hindrance number nine. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Did you know that? Did you know that hypocrisy can keep your prayers from being answered? You know what a hypocrite is, don't you? It's when you say one thing with your mouth and then do something contrary to what you say. In other words, you do not do what you say or tell others to do. Now, it's interesting in the New Testament, the Greek language, that word hypocrite has a very interesting meaning. It can mean an expounder of dreams, a counterfeit, a person speaks under a fringed character or an actor. Probably the best meaning and application of this word is simply this, that a hypocrite is a person who wears a mask impersonating a character. In other words, a hypocrite is one who says they're one way, but they act differently. Now, I just have to say this morning, I believe that one of the greatest problems and challenges with our churches today is over this very issue. We have churches filled with hypocrites. And let me, let me see if I can tell you what I mean by that. And, and let me just remind you, I got one finger going out here. I got three. 
coming back here. I got four going back here. Okay. Just kidding. You, you claim one thing sitting in this room this morning. What, whether you realize it or not, you're making a claim by your presence here. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. You, you claim to be a believer in Christ. You're claiming as a follower of his, you are a disciple. Do, do you know what a disciple is? It's an imitator of another. So what, what you say by your even presence in this church today, I am a disciple of Jesus. I seek to imitate his life as his follower. Now, you might not realize that's what you're claiming, but that is what you're claiming. And by the way, the world sees it that way too. That by virtue of the fact you associate with a church, a Christian church, you are claiming to be a follower of Jesus. Most of you act pretty nice in this building. I haven't heard a whole lot of gossip in here today. I have heard some in the church before when people didn't know I was listening. That's always fun. I haven't seen anybody act unchristlike this morning yet. Now, if I preach two and a half hours this morning, they might be put that to the test. I'm not sure. I've not heard anybody cuss. Haven't seen anybody drunk. I haven't seen anybody have a knockdown drag out with their spouse in here today. Now, you might have had it on the way to church this morning, but not in here. You act pretty civil. You act pretty good. I could look at you this morning and say, this looks like a Christian group. But let me ask you a question this morning. When you walk out those double doors right there, how do you live? How do you talk? What do you watch? Who do you hang out with? What happens when somebody squeezes you in the world? How do you act? How's your language? Do you share Jesus with the world? Do they watch you and see Jesus? Or do they see and hear a hypocrite? Do you know, Wiersbe once put it this way. He said, hypocrisy is deliberate deception. Trying to make people think we are more spiritual than we really are. My, uh, my spiritual hero, Vance Abner, once framed it this way. It is an awful hypocrisy that declares with the lips what it denies with the life. The shame of too many church members is that they have led and they lead a double life. They fear the Lord, they say, but they serve other gods. And I personally believe that's one of the greatest problems and issues in the church today. Jesus dealt with it. By the way, this is found in the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, it's in the sixth chapter of Matthew. And by the way, it's right before Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. The context of what I'm about to read that Jesus said to you is in the context of prayer. And this is what Christ had to say about it. This is Matthew 6, 5 to 6. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have, had, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And folks, if you put on the mask of hypocrisy where you claim one thing as a believer but you live entirely different, heaven is silent. God will not hear you until you take off that mask of hypocrisy and you deal with it. Hypocrisy will stop the hand of God from answering your prayer. Let me give you these last three real quick. And then we'll close this morning. Hindrance number 10, failure to know God's Word can keep you from having your prayers answered. Uh, the verse I'd give you on that is a great verse. All these are great verses. But John 15, 7, this is what it says. There's a great prayer promise here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow, what a What a promise. The Lord says, ask whatever you wish, and I will do it for you. That is some promise. Yet there are those that read that promise and try to take God up on his offer that he makes, and then they wonder why God's not giving me what I asked for. Well, let's find out why. I was doing a uh, retreat, youth retreat one time. I was introducing my topic of study for one of the studies I was doing. I was actually speaking on the topic of wisdom uh, out, of, out of the life of Solomon and the book of Proverbs. But I asked, I asked this group of youth a question that I thought uh, it would be interesting what kind of responses I got, and it was. I asked the question, if you could ask God for anything in the world, what would you ask him for? I mean, if God promised to give you whatever you ask for, well, what would you ask God for if you could ask for anything? Well, their, their, their questions, their answers were very uh, revealing, very interesting. Uh, one young person said, I would ask for a friend. Oh, boy, that was sad. Can you imagine being able to ask for anything in the world? The only thing you wanted is a friend. Um, my heart went out to that young person. Another one said, I would ask God to bring peace to my family. Again, that was a gut punch. Um, again, can you imagine a young person being able to ask for anything in the world and all they wanted is peace in their family situation? How horrible it must have been. Uh, some of the others asked for things like peace on earth. I thought that was pretty uh, bold of them, pretty noble. Uh, I'd ask for a new car, a long life. <laughs> One young boy said, I'm ask, I'd ask God for passing grades at school. I, that, that would have been me uh, when I was in school. Uh, one of the young person asked, answered the question I thought was kind of humorous. He said he would ask God for a lot of money. And to follow up on that, I said, well, how much money would you ask God for? He said, oh, I don't know, about $1,000. <laughs> well, I thought, young man, if I was going to ask God for a whole lot of money, it'd have a whole lot more zeros on it than just three. I'd like about six or seven of those zeros. Uh, but God said, ask whatever you wish, and he'd give it to you. So if I ask God for all those millions, and God doesn't give it to me, why not? 
Well, those, those that would claim the last part of that promise would very often fail to read, or if they read, to understand the first part of 1 John 15, 7. You remember what it said? If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my word abides in you, then you can ask for whatever you want, and it will be given to you. Now, that puts things in a whole different light, doesn't it? You see, folks, if I'm abiding in Jesus and his word is abiding in me, it changes what I'd want and it changes what I would ask God for. I mean, if I'm really abiding in the Lord as I should and his word is abiding in me, can I really ask God for millions of dollars to spend selfishly on myself? Not if I know his word. And if I get to know his heart, I can't. If I'm abiding in Christ and his word is abiding in me, then I'm going to be asking God to do that which is for his glory. I'm going to be asking God to do that which will bring his kingdom to come on this earth. I will be asking God to do what he wants me to do. In essence, if I'm abiding in Christ and his word is abiding in me, then I will be asking God to do what he's already declared he wants to do in me in his word. He then will be giving me what he wants for me. But if I'm not abiding in Christ, nor in his word, I don't even know what those things are that he wants for me. One person put it this way once. If you cannot find that God has promised a blessing within his word and will, you have no right to ask for it and no reason to expect it. There is no use in asking money from a banker without a check. True prayers are like those carrier pigeons which can find their way so well. They cannot fail to go to heaven for it is from heaven they've come. They are only going back home to God. Failure to know God's word can keep me from having my prayers answered. Hindrance number 11 not praying in the name of Jesus can keep my prayers from being answered. Now, I'm just going to, I'm going to just say one statement, read a couple of verses to you. Praying in the name of Jesus is not adding some magic formula to our prayers. It moves much deeper than that. But the only reason any of us have the right to have our prayers answered is when we're praying in his name. Because it's only through his name that we have any access whatsoever to the Father. John 14, 14, Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. John 16, 23, truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. When we pray in Jesus' name, it's as if we've been given a check and he has signed that check. And it's only because of his signature on that check that that check is worth anything. And lastly this morning, hindrance number 12, pride. 
pride. Now, I saved this one for 12, but I really probably should have put it first because all sin finds its root in pride. Pride in the heart will clearly stop God from answering my prayer. There, there's a verse in Job that makes it absolutely clear. Job 35, verses 12 and 13. It says the following, There they cried out, but God does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not listen to an empty cry, nor will the Almighty regard it. Now, Billy Graham, in his simplicity, put it once, the destructive power of pride is that it allows nothing higher than itself. Because of an inherent fault in our own nature, man's bias is on the side of error. In our willful desire to live independently of God, we have severed the lifeline that flows from the source of all life. And that's what pride does to the heart of man. Pride. You know, folks, that's why the Bible tells us about salvation. You know how somebody's saved? It's really very simple. There's a belief involved where you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. God's Son sent to die on a cross for the sins of the world. And when I believe that by faith, the process of giving my life to Christ is a simple one. Yes, I have to be willing to yield my life to him. Yes, I must be willing to ask him to take over my life. But how actually does a person become a believer? How does a person move from the domain of darkness to the domain of life? How does a person enter the kingdom of heaven knowing that without that I would die and go to an eternal place called hell because of my sin? How am I transferred from that standing to the promise of eternity in heaven with Christ? Very simple. When a person in childlike faith bows their need, bows their heart, and in humility calls on the name of Jesus to save them, they are saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It starts with humility. It's the only way you can be saved. You become like a little child. You simply take God up on his promise. But let me tell you something. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you're standing, where your standing is in life. I don't care what you've had in this world. I don't care if you're the greatest among us or the least. Do you know what will keep you in hell? Do you know what will send you to hell? Being so proud that you never bow the knee, you never bow the heart, 
and you never in humility call upon Jesus to save you. That's what pride does. That's the cost of pride. And pride will be the only reason you don't go to heaven. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the simple, simple truths that we've learned. Thank you that you're a God who loves us enough that you answer our prayers. And even when we don't have our prayers answered, you, you've loved us enough that in your word you've given us these verses and you've taught us these truths that we can use to examine our own hearts to see why our prayers are not being answered. Lord, how you desire to give us what your word declares is ours because that's your heart for us. Lord, help us to position ourselves with you in such a way that you can't answer our prayers. And then give us spiritual discernment to be able to see when our prayers are not being answered. Why? Lord, for that person that's here today who's never been saved, for that person who, who may be in this room, maybe is an older person or maybe it's some young person who's here who's never hum, humbled themselves before you. They've never called upon you in simple childlike faith. They've never in humility believed upon your provision for us for salvation. But Lord, today, your Holy Spirit's knocking at their heart's door. Oh, you've got them convicted. They sense their doom without you. They sense their lostness without Jesus. Lord, I pray today that they'll call on such conviction that they cannot wait to come and give their heart and their life to Jesus. Boy, if that's true of you today, this is what I'd ask you to do. This is certainly not the only way that a, a person comes to Christ, but in our church and in the way that we normally do things, we have what we call an invitation. It's what we're about to have as we sing a song. It's an opportunity for you to come and respond to what you've heard today. And maybe this morning as, as we've been praying and His Word was being preached, God's convicted you that you need to be saved, that you need to call upon the name of Jesus. You need to humble yourself and ask Jesus to save you today. We want to help you do that. And to do that as we stand and sing in a moment, as we're singing, would you step out from where you'd be standing? I'm going to be down front. I, I just simply ask that you, you walk up to me, take me by the hand, just simply say, Pastor Ken, I need to give my heart my life to Christ today. We won't embarrass you. In fact, what we'll do, we'll send you out with one of our staff members. We'll, we'll have them share with you from God's Word how you can call upon the name of the Lord today and find the promise of eternal life. Would you do that? It starts with humility. Don't let the devil keep you in pride, keep you from responding. You come today and give your heart and life to Jesus. And then, Christian, if God has spoken to your heart about other areas, this altar is open if you need to come and pray. Or maybe where you stand and sing in a moment, there's issues in your life you need to deal with. Maybe you need to come today and join this fellowship. You know God's leading you to be a part of this church family. Whatever it is, you respond as God has spoken to you. So, Lord, help us in humility of heart to respond to what you've spoken to our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you?